I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Chris Wallace, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, September 28th, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. Fighting erupted between Armenia and Azerbaijan over the weekend, and there are more than two dozen dead. Uh, we all walk yesterday morning into a full-blown war in one of the most disputed areas in the world that's mostly forgotten, but it's been a conflict since 1980. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. Despite many countries going through a second wave of coronavirus, the focus for people around the globe has shifted to other pressing problems. From conflict to other diseases, there are an array of problems. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak, and hear from Yonat Freeling, a senior Fox News field producer, about important stories over the past week not related to the virus. Starting first in Brazil, where more than 4.7 million cases of COVID-19 have been reported so far. The city of Rio de Janeiro has postponed carnival celebrations due to the outbreak. While in some areas, social distancing and lockdown measures have worked, others are seeing fresh spikes. Now to Russia that is reporting more than 8,000 daily cases. This is the highest number for Russia since mid-June. Reports indicate more than 45 million tests have been conducted in the country so far. Finally, in Spain, where a second wave of COVID-19 is out of control, Madrid has more than 700 cases per 100,000 people, and officials disagree about how to proceed with lockdowns. 40% of ICU beds in Madrid are occupied by coronavirus patients, a worrying statistic for the Spanish government that fears localized collapses of medical systems. These are all extremely important updates, and there continue to be other major stories developing around the world. Yes, first of all, let's talk about the deadly attack this afternoon in Baghdad, local time. It killed seven people. Uh, Most of them are Iraqis. This is Yonat Freeling, a senior Fox News field producer. It's a family. The house was totally... um, destroyed from what I've seen in images. And the Iraqi government has already said that they're going to pursue the people who have fired the rocket. Um, most of the time, the people who are the assailants um, who, who shoot the uh, rockets, the Katusha rockets, are Iran-affiliated, which brings us back to what you said about the, Israel, the American embassy. Um, Washington has talked, uh, Secretary Pompeo has talked both with the Prime Minister and the President of Iraq over the weekend and earlier this week, saying that they will not tolerate any more attacks on uh, American forces and especially around the vicinity of the green zone of the um, American embassy, Um, something that in recent months we have seen more and more. Um, And I think that this is a very... uh, unique moment because if the U.S. will eventually pull out from the embassy and as well their plans to reduce significantly the number of forces that they have in Iraq, um, the country will go into chaos or back into chaos um, because there are two main forces right now in Iraq. The one from one side is the Americans um, who put a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of resources and a lot of and many, many troops Um, to keep this country afloat. And on the other hand, um, Iran proxies and affiliated groups that are uh, turning into um, trying to gain more and more leverage and control within the Iraqi government and around the country. Um, You, a while ago, have uh, exposed one of the biggest bases that the Iranian have 
in the border between Iran, Iraq, and Syria, the Abu Kamal one. Um, and I think that if if the Iraqis will not understand the gravity of the situation, um, this will significantly change the region as it is. Um, nobody wants a second Benghazi, um, especially not the Trump administration in such a close proximity to the elections. Yeah, and I mean, that was the whole concern with the embassy siege back at the beginning of the year before President Trump ordered that drone strike against the Iranian general Qasem Soleimani was the imagery associated with the U.S. embassy in the green zone being under siege. And we saw it with the previous Iraqi prime minister, Abdul Mahdi, and now the mm -hmm. current prime minister, Mustafa Al-Qadimi, receiving pressure from the Americans to take action immediately or see American forces leave not only Baghdad, but also some of the coalition positions around Iraq that are still assisting to ensure the fight against ISIS continues because there are still pockets of the terror group operating across the country. So it's an interesting story to follow, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Indeed, indeed. Um, the uh, Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo, according to some reports, has said that should be no confusion by the Iraqi of how serious the U.S. takes these threats against their diplomats and forces. So I think they could not word it more precisely. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the ISIS threat in the Middle East, let's shift to our next topic, and that is <laughs> Lebanon in a country actually that we're not normally reporting on in the context of the fight against the Islamic State, but there were some developments over this past week, as well as the ongoing geopolitical developments as it relates to the aftermath of that explosion last month and also the dire economic situation in Lebanon. What is the latest out of Beirut and Lebanon? The, the latest it comes from yesterday when the designated uh, prime minister, um, that was assigned to reform a government after the deadly and the horrific explosion two months ago, um, has resigned. He said that he can't he can't form the government and he's disappointing the Lebanese people. Um, and it's mainly, he hinted um, that it's mainly because of the Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a terror organization designated by, by the US and the EU um, and is Iran affiliated. Um, but Hezbollah is also a very strong leverage in the Lebanese politics. Uh, there are ministers that are affiliated with Hezbollah. And um, when you were in Lebanon, you saw how angry the people of Lebanon are, are at Hezbollah and Nasrallah, the leader. Um, they think they have been taken hostage by the organization. And Macron said yesterday, Emmanuel Macron, who were cheering for this or pushing for this, you might, might say, um, that is extremely disappointed from the current situation. And he thinks it's a betrayal of Hezbollah and the Lebanese politicians and their people. So, I, um, you know, the only one, we keep saying this, and it's, I mean, the COVID-19 horrible situation there and the economic crisis but the Lebanese people need to have decent leaders who are going to take care of them and not to take care of other external um, countries such as Iraq. Um, we've seen over the weekend two Lebanese soldiers that have been killed 
uh, with an exchange of fire in northern Lebanon, not far away from the Syrian border, uh, when a gunman opened fire on a military position and then exchange of fire and then um, another attack took place a short while ago after that, um, killing Lebanese uh, servicemen. Both are affiliated with um, a Lebanese suspect who's affiliated with ISIS. Um, his name was Khaled El Talawi. He was a re- he was killed two weeks ago at the beginning of September, and some of their, his supporters were killed, and some of them have been arrested. Um, so, apart from everything that's going on right now in Lebanon, they also need to face threats by ISIS. You've been listening to You're Not Freeling, a senior Fox News field producer. We'll be right back. As you noted, this comes amid such a difficult backdrop for the country as they fight COVID-19 and their own ongoing economic crisis. Our last story, I want to make sure we have enough time to get to, and that is the war that erupted over the weekend between Armenia and Azerbaijan. This taking place in the contested Nagorno-Karabakh region, but it very quickly evolved into a situation that could have some serious international consequences due in part to the treaty obligations that these two countries are a part of that could pull in world superpowers to this fight. What do we know about the situation and the clashes over the weekend between Armenia and Azerbaijan? Uh, we all walk yesterday morning into a full-blown war in one of the most disputed areas in the world that mostly forgotten, but it's been a conflict since 1980. Um, it's 30 people have been killed over the weekend so far, as we know. Um, some of them are military and some of them are civilians, among them a mother and few children of hers on both sides. Um, both army and both countries have declared a state of emergency, calling on to reserves of the male population and drafting them. Um, Nagorno-Karabakh is an enclave that when the Soviet Union has dismantled into countries, um, it was, according to international law, part of Azerbaijan, who is a Muslim country, which is a Muslim country. However, most of the residents are Armenian and Christians. Some of them are Turks, Muslim Turks. So we have, and they have been rejecting the Azeri rule ever since. Uh, Every uh, once in a while, we see some kind of small clashes. The the latest one was uh, in July, and we talked about it here in the podcast. But the, the worst one was in 2016, apart from the one that's going on today. Um, we mentioned the international forces that are involved, and we have Russia on the Armenian side and Turkey on the Azeri side. Um, not a long time ago, one of the spokespersons for the Russian um, defense ministry said that they're going to use Iskindar missiles, which are anti-aircraft missiles, if Turkey is going to start using F-16 so the two countries are basically now being hijacked or being held by, depend on how you want to define it, by two other powers, very strong powers, who already have a long-standing beef between the two of them. And we have to remember that Turkey is part of NATO, which might involve, according to the treaty, any kind of help from the other NATO allies 
which is the U.S. and some of the European countries. I remember back when we covered this story in July, the big concern was that Azerbaijan would target the atomic energy station that is well known in Armenia, and that could escalate the conflict even further. So it will be interesting to see if that is still on the list of targets, as we're seeing, even as we speak now, artillery shells being fired and airstrikes happening. We've even seen a lot of drone action taking place in the region. And as you noted, there are some big superpowers that could get involved if this continues to move forward. Now that I just got uh, a notice that the UN Security Council is going to be um, convened tomorrow to discuss um, the recent uh, conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. So that might give us hope uh, for a resolution of this. The news as we get it. Yep. And uh, finally, our good news story of the week. I know you're excited for this one. And now that we're talking, it's occurred to me that most of our good news stories are about animals. And this one yes. is indeed about an animal. Well, I have to say I have mixed feelings about this uh, story because there's nothing I hate more than rats. But Magawa has been my hero for the past week. We're talking about Magawa. He's a five-year-old giant rat, and he's been trained by the Apopo NGO in Tanzania to locate landmines. Landmines are one of the biggest problems of the modern world in warfare because they target everyone. And after the conflict ends, they still are being hidden in the ground, and most of the civilians don't are not aware of them, or sometimes they are being swept away by floods and everything. And the average um, death toll of um, that are caused by mines is are fifty thousand people. Fifteen thousand people have lost their life every year because of the of the landmines, and hundreds others are getting hurt and injured and being amputated for the rest of their lives. But Magawa, who's our This Week hero, um, is able to look into and sniffle. He's been trying to sniff the specific chemicals that are in the explosive, and he can detect mines in less than 30 seconds, okay? So in 20 seconds, some of them have said that he can scan a field the size of a tennis field, a tennis court, in 20 minutes, something that if you and I would take a metal detector, we might do it in about two to four days. Um, so, yay, Mugawa. He's about to retire, hopefully for, like, a resort or something, something that rats prefer. But, uh, yeah. so <laughs> A resort for rats. It's yeah. made of cheese. Uh, that reminds me, though, of a documentary this girl that I know made called This Little Land of Mines, and it's about unexploded landmines in the country of Laos. There's 80 million of them there. And so it seems like his services could be used all around the world. Yes, and thank you for the Apopo NGO for dedicating their um, days and life to train both rats and dogs for mines. You're not freeling a senior Fox News field producer once again on the Fox News Rundown Global Pandemic. You're not. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, Trey. See you next week.
been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.